Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk bad advice using science. Hooray, science. Hooray, science. (laughs) I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee, College of Nursing and Department of Psychology. I have a PhD in Child and Family Studies. I'm Dr. Jacob Priest out of the University of Iowa. I have a PhD in Marriage and Family Therapy, and I am a professor in the Couple and Family Therapy Program and the Department of Psychiatry. And I'm Dr. Sarah Woods. I'm in Dallas, Texas. I have a PhD in Marriage and Family Therapy, and I'm working as a behavioral scientist in family medicine. Fantastic. Well, this episode, we're going to talk about some current events in pop culture that we want to air some opinions about. I'm sure Jacob has some gems lined up for us with there. We're excited about that. You know it. (laughs) Yeah, well, good. Um, Then we're going to break down um, an academic article called Extramarital Affairs and Marital Disillusion. Does identity of the extramarital partner matter? Question mark. Um, And last but not least, we'll break down some saved words of advice and good versus bad advice where we'll determine if that advice is good or bad. As always, if you've heard or read some advice you'd like us to talk about, please send it to us. You can leave us a message at 865-235-1374 or email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us at attachedpodcast or visit our website, attachedpodcast.com. And on that website, you can also email us using the contact us. And while you're in the wonderful world of the internet, please like and subscribe to our podcast. And, you know, follow us on Twitter. Why not? Uh, but before we get to all of those fun things and all that stuff, how are you all doing? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. Thank how you. was how was your week, Jacob? It was well. This is the last week of freedom. Uh, the semester starts on Monday. Oh yeah, my semester's already started. Sucker. I mean, wait, yeah, I'm so. sucker. <laughs> Wait, that doesn't make him the sucker. <laughs> He's winning. Yeah, tomorrow will be a long day. I start teaching class at 9.30. I teach from 9.30 to 12.15, and then from 2 to 3, and then I see clients from 4 to 8. So it's going to be a fun day. Wow. Oh Your clients are getting the better end of that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really, you know, just save the best for last. Yeah. Aw. Get a couple of shots of a espresso and then see some clients. It'd be really fantastic. There's a great coffee shop right by my office, so I just go get. Typically, it's like an iced tea in the afternoon because I don't want like warm coffee in August in Iowa. But and I'm good to go. That sounds so southern. Yeah, well, you know, I I lived in the south and I married somebody from the south. Yeah, I lived in Tallahassee. Oh, you lived in the south. I was like, wait, the I. But I also get very confused about where you are technically in the world. And I was like, Iowa's not the South, is it? Like, I really had to think about that for a second. It's like the Midwest, right? Yes. It's the, it's the quintessential version of the Midwest. Oh, is it? I like, don't you all? Oh, no. I, I'll need to look it up again. Remember, we only, I, we only, this is definitely just, I only discovered that you're just north of me by a few states recently and so when you said you lived in the south i i was wondering (laughs) (laughs) not that far away i don't think (laughs) not good um so this weekend 
Uh, my my oldest turned six. <gasps> Yay! Oh, birthday. Yeah, we had a birthday party, and she wanted a space theme. Oh yeah. It was very enthusiastic about it. Cool. Too, maybe some may say too enthusiastic about it. <laughs> In my mind, I thought, what a great idea. I'll make a solar system cake. And I'll well, make- that's not a good idea. <laughs> right? Oh I'll make cakes at different sizes to match the sun and the planets. Stop it. <laughs> oh, my God. Patricia, what? <laughs> <laughs> Just keeping it simple. <laughs> Oh, the night before the party, I was like, why did I, why did I do this? Why did I say I do this? She'll literally literally never remember this. She's turning six. (laughs) What have I done? (laughs) Oh, oh. I did it with the help of my uh, wonderful sister and mother. And um, we did it. It all came together wonderfully. We had to put it on a table and carry the table out to sing happy birthday to (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah but oh everybody uh they said it tasted good i mean it definitely looks homemade but it is definitely way too much cake for like 14 uh six-year-olds and i was cutting slices of cake of that son that were so big and the parents are like really you think a three-year-old needs this much cake and i'm like i don't want to eat it eat it it's- I don't want to eat Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Eat some cake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. How about you, Woods? What's going on? Today, my uh, my husband is out of town at apparently his first conference ever. I don't know. He said that, like, on the way out the door. And I, I also had this flashback to, like, the 30 conferences he solo parented during. And I was like, oh, I I kind of regret all those guilt trips I gave him last few days. Um, but so Charlotte and I have had a fun day. We tried a few different like kits that we'd gotten her for Christmas that had just been like shoved in a closet. Like we grew some, we grew some crystals, which I think mm-hmm. in retrospect are not actual crystals because that's not how real crystals grow. And so <laughs> she wants to like touch them and take them to school. I'm like, don't touch them. Don't, I don't know what that is. It's some kind of chemical reaction. Don't touch it. So those were really disappointing. She sewed like a pineapple pillow. I don't know what that is. That's, we've lost it already. We already lost it. That was. <laughs> And then my activity for the evening was I have multiple plants in the backyard. I mean, you all know I've been trying to garden for years, but like this summer I tried again. All my herbs are gone except for the basil, which has taken over a third of my garden. And uh, cucumber plant, which is enormous and has never grown a cucumber. Not once. (laughs) Really? Never. Does it ever flower? Oh, it's a a thousand beautiful yellow flowers around this thing. Never seen a cucumber. Not once. (laughs) And a tomato plant that is now about four feet tall and has grown one tomato in the last three months. Oh, that's weird. And a jalapeno plant, which grows about four jalapenos a week, which you can't eat jalapenos. So my activity for this evening was to pickle jalapenos. And so we put together the brine. And then I was go- I went to have us together chop the jalapenos and realized, oh, my God, I can't freaking do that with your own <laughs> Your, uh, with your bare hands, please hold on to these raw jalapenos. All the I literally, all we did all day were projects she literally couldn't touch. I don't know, it was the weirdest. So I have brine on my stove and no pickled jalapenos. So yeah, it's going really good. First day of solo parenting and starting as Trump. Well, on that note, let's get started. 
Our lives and relationships are impacted by things in our surroundings, whether that's locally, nationally, or culturally. So for the first segment, we take a moment to highlight current events in pop culture that may influence people's lives and how they view relationships. So Jacob, what you got for us this week? So today we're shifting off of the Bachelor and Bachelorette franchise and talking about... Amen. We're actually Sorry. going to talk about the the imported uh, reality television show that is sweeping the nation. It's like the Beatles of reality TV. Oh. So Love Island, specifically oh Love Island UK, is a reality television show that's basically like Big Brother meets... It, well, you probably haven't seen Bachelor in Paradise, but for those of you who had, it's like Big Brother meets Bachelor in Paradise. What they do... I don't know any of those. I've never seen okay. that. Uh, you can reference American Idol, Top Chef. How old are you? <laughs> Same age as me. <laughs> That's also how the Apprentice and that went. That did not. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. We don't talk about that. Uh, anyway, so what they do is they bring in these very attractive British twenty-something-year-olds. And uh, they have them stay at this villa in Mallorca, Spain for, I think it's eight weeks total. You know, and like people are coming and going and people get voted off. But it's all about find, finding love. And then at the end, the audience votes and one couple wins $50,000. So if you are... So there are a bunch of couples that go then? Or people pair no, they're up? Not, yeah, you have to pair up. If you don't, if you're not in a couple, you're in danger of being kicked off of the island. Oh my gosh, this is like forced coupling. Yeah, Um, but I actually really like it, and we may or may not have watched uh, the last four episodes yesterday. Who knows? Um, Anyway, uh, (laughs) really good prep for the start of my semester. I want to talk about Love Island with the concept of triangulation. Okay, So triangulation is the idea that when there is tension or conflict between two people, you tend to bring in a third person. The most common example you ever can think about is like when parents are divorced and they don't talk to each other, they always go to their kid, not always, but they go to their kid and say, hey, tell your parent that. And then the other parent goes, hey, tell your parent that. That's trying. But I want to point out one episode in particular where you can see all of these overlapping triangles and... One really good example of detriangulating yourself from conflict. So, um, there's this guy on the show named Jordan, and he was in a couple with Anna for a really long time. And two days before this episode aired, he took um, Anna on this very romantic journey around the villa where they had been staying. All the places where they had their first kiss, their first date, their first conversation. And then he took her to a new spot and said, Hey, now I want you to always remember this is the spot where I asked you to be my girlfriend. And she smiles, there's the music swells, they kiss, and she says, yes, I want to be your girlfriend. And it all seems happy. Well, two days later, Jordan, no. gets as, Jordan, as the Brits like to say, gets his head turned. Turned. Mm-hmm. There had been this other other woman in the villa named India who he had become good friends with, but he thought maybe it was something more than that. My. So, so you can just jump into another relationship if you want to on this show. Well, hold on. <laughs> like the producer. I'm so sorry. I'm jumping. I'm jumping the gun. So, here. 
Jordan doesn't know what to do, so he goes and enlists the help of his pal, Curtis. Oh. Now, Curtis is a professional ballroom dancer, which this has nothing to do with what I'm about to share, but it's just really kind of funny because the narrator of it always talks about him being a professional ballroom dancer. Anyway, I can't. Anyway, um, so uh, he go, Jordan goes to Curtis and says, hey, I think my head's turning and I'm starting to like notice India and wanting to run and chat with her around the villa. And Oh, so head turns means that he's starting to look at somebody else. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I understand. Um, and so Curtis, in his infinite wisdom, says, well, you shouldn't talk to Anna first and saying that you're developing feelings for somebody else. You should just go talk to India. So conflict between Anna and Jordan leads to Curtis being triangulated in. But right. then he says, why don't you triangulate in India? So this is going to get real complicated, but follow along. I'm glad you're sketching it out, Sarah. Thank you. We'll post a picture of it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Jordan goes and grabs India. He's like, hey, can I have a chat with you? And while Jordan is chatting with India... Curtis, who's in a couple with this fiery Irish woman named Maura, goes and says, hey, I just had a chat with Jordan. His head is turning, and he just pulled India for a chat to tell her that he has feelings. Maura is, like, livid and says, no, I'm really good friends with Anna. So she goes and tells Anna what's going on. Anna storms across the villa and just starts yelling at Jordan, right? So you can see how all of these triangles happened. Between Anna and Jordan, Curtis was brought in. Curtis tried to detriangulate himself by bringing in India. But then Curtis told Maura, who he triangulated in there, and then she went and pulled in Anna, and there was a big fire. But... So it was like an octagon. Yes. There is this amazing person on Love Island, and his name is Ovi. Now, Ovi is the chillest, coolest person probably on the planet. And he has been in a couple with India for a while. And as everybody is getting upset, all these people are yelling at, he calmly walks over to India, reaches his hand out, says, hey, this has nothing to do with you. Why don't you come with me? And pulls her out and detriangulates her out of the conflict. Wow. And so that's what you have to think about in your own relationships. Oftentimes... People are going to pull you in from all sides. There's going to be overlapping triangles. Right. But you need to be like Ovi. If you recognize that there's conflict between two people, pull yourself out of it and say, this doesn't have anything to do with me. You two can resolve it. Because if they can resolve it, that's going to improve their relationship. If they can't, well, guess what happens on Love Island? Anna and Jordan, they got kicked off the next time there was a problem. Oh my goodness. So the moral of the story is be like OV, B-L-O, blow. <laughs> yes, I actually love that. I mean, you all need to look up OV on Instagram. He is super chill. He always wears really cool bucket hats. No, I'm pretty sure I did look him up and I'm pretty sure he's super hot. Oh, uh, yeah. Also that. He's like a six foot seven basketball player who my wife describes as uh, chiseled by the gods. <laughs> but also also really good at detriangulating people, you know? Yeah. We have is. multiple characteristics and qualities. We all do. Yeah, he might be like the most perfect person on the planet. You don't know. Yeah, is that your wife that was talking about that or was it you? <laughs> <laughs> I support either, but let's just be honest. <laughs> there you go. That's an excellent... 
excellent lesson from Love Island UK. I love it. Anything else? That's all I got for you, Pete. I love it. So now we're going to move to academic deep dive segment. Today, we're going to talk about a new paper from uh, some family science researchers entitled Extramarital Sex and Marital Disillusion, Does Identity of the Extramarital Partner Matter? So this piece was published very recently this summer in uh, 2019 in the journal called Family Process um, by Lindsay Lebrec and Mark Smitten. So if you want to read the full article that we're about to talk about, we'll post a link on our Twitter page and in the bio of this episode. But before we get too into it and before Sarah takes it away, uh, just a little bit of background. So we know about 1.5 to 5% of married people report having extramarital sex each year. About one in four men and one in 10 women have extramarital sex in their entire lifetime. Um, extramarital sex is cited as the most common reason among people who are divorcing. But what we don't know is how engaging in extramarital sex is actually predictive of later separation or divorce, and more particularly, whether who the person cheats with affects the likelihood of divorce or not. So with that in mind, Sarah, tell us about this really cool paper you found. Cool. I'm just going to pick up right where you left off um, rather than share some more background. Although some of those statistics were kind of surprising for me. One in four men in their lifetime is pretty surprising. So this Really? I thought that... Sorry. Thought it was well. No, no. Yeah. You did? I thought it was, yeah. I thought it would be higher. But anyway, <laughs> I'll talk about that later. Yeah. Oh, man. That's... Yeah. I want to hear your thoughts on that. So they... These researchers use data from the General Social Survey, which typically does not gather data from people over time, but in a few waves, they had a what's called a rolling panel design. So they had participants that followed up within two years. So they had data from 2006, 2008, 2010. And at each of those waves, there was about 2,000 people that answered questions at baseline as well as two years later. And across all those uh, all those participants, this study specifically grabbed 1,850 people who were married at baseline and completed questions at baseline at time one about whether they had extramarital sex in the last 12 months. Specifically, if they were married and they reported having more than one sex partner and said that, that uh, they had at least one sex partner who was not their husband or wife or regular sex partner, then these researchers coded them essentially as having had extramarital sex while married married at baseline. They also collected information about the identity of who this other sex partner was. So they had the option to choose it was a close personal friend or a neighbor coworker along an acquaintance or a casual date or pickup or a person you paid or paid you for sex or other category. And the only other variable that they grabbed to look at to test their hypotheses was a single item uh, assessing participant satisfaction with their marriage. So taking all things together, uh, how would you describe your marriage? Would you say it's very happy, pretty happy, or not too happy? Which again is only three categories. But most people by far in this study of this sample reported that they were very happy, uh, which is what we see in a lot of marital research. Um, but this was overwhelmingly almost all of the people. I think it was something like 97%. And so they looked to see whether the 
the description of having extramarital sex partner in the last 12 months at baseline predicted later separation or divorce, which it did across the board. So regardless of who someone had extramarital sex with, the odds of later separation were five times greater than people who were married and did not report having uh, extramarital sex. So just across the board, we know that that's, that that association is significant. And that was then they broke it down by category. For people who said that their extramarital sex partner was a close personal friend, the odds of later divorce were seven times greater. Whereas if it was not a close personal friend, it was less so the case. Uh, it was still greater than if they had not had extramarital sex, but it was only, only solely four times greater. Meaning that people who are, um, cheating with a close personal friend are driving a lot of that effect, which is really interesting. And then the last thing that they tested was they wanted to adjust these effects for marital satisfaction at baseline. So even though most people said that they were very happy, they looked to see if they controlled for marital satisfaction, would it change the outcome? And it only did a little bit. So for everybody who reported they had extramarital sex, um, that relationship was still significant, even controlling for marital satisfaction. So whether you said you were very happy, pretty happy, not too happy, you still found a significant association between extramarital sex partner and later divorce within at two years later. The significant association also held true for close personal friends, which again had a, a stronger likelihood across the board. It did not, it was no longer significant if you had an extramarital partner that was not a close personal friend as a neighbor or someone you paid to have sex, etc. So, which is interesting. It's, it's a nice kind of basic little project with a lot of data that shows that the odds of marital separation for a person reporting extramarital sex are five times greater than if than a person who denies having extramarital sex although it's only two years so there could be people it's not capturing longer term effects for because the follow-up is so quick which is was their intention but may certainly not be capturing people who separate or divorce later on. The having extramarital sex with a close personal friend was a much larger and much more significant effect on later marital dissolution. They have some different ideas about why this is, uh, that the quality of that extramarital partner is likely greater or that they're seen as more appealing. If you're a close personal friend, we probably have things that are in common. Uh, it's also potentially more strongly associated with separation and divorce because that's going to be seen as a bigger injury to the person who's been cheated on. It's going to be seen as a bigger betrayal. That person, the um, infidelity is a bigger threat to whether or not we can even maintain this relationship. There might be a larger or more intense um, scrutiny audience for people who learn about this affair because if that person's involved in in your life in a way that's really close, and even when they controlled for the potential impact of marital satisfaction, uh, which although the, the authors don't talk about this specifically, I think it's really interesting that they control for it, but they also are showing the effect sizes, right? So for people who said they were not too happy, which is very few, but if they said they were not too happy in their marriage at baseline and they also reported having extramarital sex with a close personal friend, they were 11 times more likely to divorce two, by, two, oh. by two years later. Yeah. So they didn't talk about that because that wasn't necessarily their hypothesis, but I did think that those were even I, – I actually personally just thought it was a really interesting finding. Um, yeah. So the 
but these anyways, these odds remain significant. They're, they're just more much more significantly likely to separate or divorce within two years if that's what you're reporting at that time. So one thing that I was thinking when you were talking about the close friend is we know that there are, you know, different types of affairs in in, in relationships or extramarital yeah. affairs. Yeah. There's the yeah. sexual one that this one talks about, but there we also know that there are emotional um, mm-hmm. extramarital affairs. So I wonder if another reason why that uh, having uh, uh, extramarital sex with uh, a close friend is so much more predictive of divorce is because it may overlay with the emotional attachment as well. Yep. Yep. That's, yeah, that's a lot of what their theory is that um, I'm going to uh, see you as a higher quality alternative. I'm probably going to have more investment in that relationship. I'm probably going to have less commitment, therefore, to my current marital partner yeah, that's exactly what they're describing. And to your first point, it's also possible that participants uh, interpreted that question about sex different ways. Like what constitutes sex or extramarital sex might be interpreted differently depending on who's answering the question. So it's not capturing that nuance. These items that they use to test these hypotheses are very basic. So there's definitely it is probable that there is some additional nuance to be captured here in future research. And like I said, 97% of the sample reported their marriage to be very happy or pretty happy. That's almost everybody. I think it was funny that they didn't make more of those, like, of like the interactions between them. Yeah, those. right? Like, I thought that that was very, in- I was like, oh, well, okay, it's not in the results. Even though they didn't hypothesize anything specifically, they'll talk about the discussion. But they didn't. And I was like, fascinated with the fact that so many people said that they were across the board, that they were in a happy marriage. And yet people who had extramarital relationship with a close personal friend, therefore would have been likely to also say they were in a very happy marriage. Right. But doesn't that speak to the problem in general of self-reporting marital satisfaction that people just are always like, yeah, 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 I'm happy. Yeah, yeah, mental satisfaction measures are a lie. They're a scam. They're a lie, I say. They're a lie. So meaning like to be able to, to be able to put not too happy, you must be like ready to like murder your partner. Like what is the scale actually? Yeah, I absolutely really? think so. Because usually those scales are like from strongly disagree. Like do you are happy in your marriage? Strongly yeah. disagree somewhat disagree disagree neither disagree nor agree and then goes all the way to strongly agree so to like be moderately moderately agree that i'm happy that's why i like the csi4 is that last question oh that's one to ten or whatever compared to all other csi is the the couple satisfaction yeah yeah Yeah. is that that question about happiness is like not at all happy is zero. And then it goes to a little bit happy, somewhat happy, very happy. Like it's varying degrees of happiness, not necessarily like unhappy. And I think that's very clever because not many people are going to ever report. I'm super unhappy in my marriage because they're likely going to be separated or divorced. Yeah. When you ask people on a scale of one to 10, how happy is their marriage? The average is typically an 8.5. Right. right. You know, like, and I mean, it's not that half of all marriages end a divorce, but 
like research to suggest that your marital satisfaction doesn't actually isn't associated with divorce even four or five years later. Like you could report that you're happy and six months later, like be miserable. Be Things different. change that fast. So this isn't a clinical sample. This isn't people who sought out necessarily. We don't we don't know that it is, right. uh, but it isn't a clinically specific sample. So this isn't a collection of people who've gone to therapy or thinking about their. And we don't know what the status of whether they sought help for this is. This is just a general survey of the of the general population. Yeah, right, exactly. But so there's, I, th- I mean, there. This is a really nice little brief paper, and there's more research to be done here. I think my biggest question was this wasn't dyadic research, so these are individual participants talking about their yeah. own perceptions of their marriage, which ironically they are saying that they are cheating with somebody, a lot of them who's a close personal friend, while at the same time most of them are saying, yeah, I'm like, I'm very happy with my marriage. Right. So we don't know the person who was cheated on. We don't know what their perception of this is. And we don't know if they have or have not engaged in extramarital either. Yep. That's right. Yep. Yep. So there is, they, they present some other data from former studies that talk about that couples who do enter couple therapy that they are still more likely to divorce later on if there was infidelity so that that we might still see some of this effect, whether or not they engage in couples therapy, but that some, it looks like, and this is all kind of really newer and it doesn't sound like there's enough research in this area, though this isn't necessarily my area of expertise, but it, I thought it was really interesting. There might be some effect for whether the infidelity was revealed before therapy began or during that there's some indication that those couples might have a lower divorce rate after couples therapy than couples where infidelity occurred but was never revealed or it was discovered like by the therapist or a research team, like depending on who the sample is. They are more like 80% likely to divorce after couples therapy. Really? Which makes, which makes sense, right? Because there is probably some function of openness and honesty happening in a couple where that's potentially been shared and then a level of motivation to potentially fixing this is not unilateral yeah Yeah, that's that's not unilateral but yeah because we see we see couples come to therapy all the time where they've discovered that there's infidelity at least on behalf of one partner and they're essentially they're coming to therapy but that partner is not necessarily committed to working on the relationship so there's that's there's variability in that but I think that that makes a lot of sense about why those couples might be likely to be a little bit more successful long term than people where the therapist discovers the infidelity and then you're like, oh shit. <laughs> I mean, I was gonna say if you're the therapist, but honestly, if you're the couple too, so yeah. So first, I mentioned as I said earlier, like Sarah was saying, wow, that one in four men, one in ten women is really high. I think when it looks, you look specifically at extramarital sex, I think that that's probably reflective. But if we kind of encapsulate infidelity in affairs where it comes through different gradations, right? Because technically, you know, we don't know either. This is one thing I think about, you know, we know if they had sex with somebody who wasn't their primary sexual partner. But some of these people may have had open relationships. Some of them may not have. And the other good thing I thought about this paper, too, was only in this sample of how many people were there again? Like 1853. Only about 4% were separated or divorced two years later, which is pretty low. And only 2%, 2.7, almost 3% said that they actually had sex with somebody other than their primary sexual partner. So overall, you know, this is a happy... 
yeah. hap- people who are in happy marriages and doing pretty well. Right. But what I did think was interesting, you know, I was talking about triangulation earlier, right? And a lot of times we see infidelity or extramarital sex as the outcome where I actually think it is more reflective of a process. Yeah. If sure. we go back simply to triangulation, you know, if there's tension between two people, one of the best ways to relieve that tension is to bring in a third person, right? If you're not getting along with your partner or you're sexually frustrated with your partner or whatever, it can be instead of dealing with that conflict, it can be conflict reducing in some respects to have an affair. But again, when you triangulate some people, that's going to amp the anxiety and the reactivity in the relationship. So, but Esther Perel, she has a new book out called The State of Affairs, right? And she argues that the main argument of the book is we put so much stock in a a sexual encounter outside of marriage, right? That for many, especially people in the United States, is seen as relationship ending, where cultures across the world, that's not the case. And she's talking about that part of the reason, and this is a theme I think we return to frequently here, is that we've expected our partner to be able to fulfill our needs at all times, right? Our prime, our spouse, our partner should be our best friend, our, our lover, our emotional support person and all of that. So I think, you know, they, they had to quantify this idea of extramarital sex as an affair. But really, if you think about the, the variation of what could be considered being unfaithful or an affair, there's more than 50 shades of gray there, right? So from between, you know, not, you know, having sex with somebody who's not your partner to everything from flirting with somebody while you're at the gym, right? All of those could be considered some form of infidelity. And I think, too, that the takeaway, and Sarah, you you brought this up, the takeaway is being able to talk beforehand about, A, it's important to have other relationships in your life, but B, what are the boundaries and expectations around that relationship? What in your relationship is okay and not okay? and discussing that across time, right? Yeah. I've worked with I've worked with many couples who have open relationships. Some couples come in because the problem is their open relationship. Others people who are in open relationships, that's not the problem with their relationship. Right. But yeah. when the people come in who are having uh problems, if I ask them how they opened up their relationship, typically it was to try to triangulate a third person because things weren't going well. Right. It's not like, Hey, I want to open this relationship because I feel it would give us an opportunity to both grow as a couple and as people. It's, I'm not happy with you. And if we're going to stay together, uh, we got to start being able to have sex with other people. That without tends not any, to go very well. Right. And without any clear ground rules or necessarily yeah. like different, differential buy-in and mm-hmm. yeah, really problematic. So I think like, you know, I think this, this, I really enjoyed reading this article because it just shows like, Hey, you know, your odds of divorce are much higher. If you have sex with somebody you're not married to, and especially if you're sleeping yeah. with a close friend, like, <laughs> you know, if you're going to, if you're going to cheat and you want to save your marriage, <laughs> hook up with some random person. That's going to be there for you. Yeah, that's right. Hey, that, that's, that's, that's a general takeaway we have. That's a general takeaway. Hook up with a random but, person, but use protection. Yeah. That's, that's all. That's the second part. <laughs> they of that definitely, takeaway. yeah, they didn't discuss that in this paper, but it's just a good disclaimer for people listening. It's a good disclaimer. Yeah. going to recommend people. Yeah. You don't want to be blamed. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We don't want the yeah. attached podcast to blow up for the wrong reason. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but on the other side of that too is 
affairs don't have to be relationship ending, right? You said you're five times more likely, but that doesn't mean that everybody who had extramarital sex got divorced. Um, affairs, if you look at it as a process more so than an outcome, it can actually give you more information about your relationship. Not that typically, I think people in long-term committed relationships where they show up in my therapy room because one of them has had sex with someone else, they're showing up because they want to save this relationship, but their attention to the relationship, the time and effort they were putting into relationship has lagged. So it allowed those boundaries that they may or may not establish or may or may not talked about in a meaningful way to kind of go away. And this triangulation process then is much easier. Well, and I think I said that they controlled um, for marital satisfaction in their their second go round, um, and that people who were saying that they were not very happy in their relationship at baseline and cheating with a close personal friend were eleven times more likely. But the ones who said they were pretty happy were only twice as likely mm-hmm. divorce. So I think to what you're saying, Jacob, it's not necessarily a relationship ender. And if you have couples who are maybe indicating that they might want to work on it or not everything is an absolute disaster that there might be some hope there because being satisfied in the marital relationship really lessened the likelihood lessened how strong that association was with later divorce and, yeah. and if i'm a if i'm a couples therapist reading this i i think i also want to attend to the fact that there are differences potentially coming in the door Maybe just even across the board, right? Every single couple is different and all of this looks different for every client that you get. And also some of these processes replicate. And if you have someone, a couple coming in the, coming in the door where the person, someone's saying that they, there was infidelity and it was with somebody who they were really close to and maybe they spent a lot of time with and they're still in their lives and they haven't necessarily cut out of their lives, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's potentially more red flags and something to talk about in terms of what's your current level of investment in your marriage? What's your commitment to this other person? How many people know that this is going on for you? How shameful might that be for your partner to learn that this is going on? Was it also a close personal friend of theirs? How, how painful is this betrayal and what, what does it reflect about your marriage? on a bigger scale. I think if I'm a therapist, this also flags for me some things I might be thinking about. Yeah, I was going to say too, um, you know, the people who are unhappy in the relationship and had sex outside of of their relationship, like, yeah, being 11 times more likely to separate or divorce. I've, I I could see that because in my practice, yeah. uh, they, we have a phrase, well, it gets thrown around a lot, this like drop-off therapy. Yeah, 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 right. Bring their partner yeah, in because right. they're going to yeah. Yeah, break up with their yeah. partner and yeah. they bring them in like, here, yeah. I cheated. I'm not happy. I'm done. Now that you've met this therapist, right. see ya. And they're That's out. Right. Yep. Yep. That's what I was referring to earlier. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. I've had couples like, and like Sarah was saying, I've had couples who come in who are mostly happy and somebody, you know, was at a work trip and you know hooked up with somebody and they came back and they told their partner and those types of relationships that type of process is actually can be a way to really get people to examine their relationship as opposed to people who i'm really unhappy oh i just had sex with one of my best friends because i don't want to be in a relationship i mean those are two different two different you know extramarital sex processes Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not not all not all extramarital sex is is painted it's created as, equal. Yeah, it's not yeah. all created equal. 
Well, and um, speaking of Esther Perel, she has this lovely phrase, and I'm not going to say it as lovely as she does, but um, it's a version that she uses in couples therapy about most people these days are married two or three times. Um, you have an opportunity here to decide whether you want to do that, but do that with the person that you're already married to. Do you yeah. want to work together to discover a new marriage between you? And I just think it's such a lovely frame um, mm-hmm. and really very hopeful for like, you can choose to move on and have a second marriage with a new person, or you can have a second new marriage with the person who's here. Yeah, yeah. I just love it. I do like that a lot. Love that. Also, I just hope she's listening. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I mean, as a fan. Yes. Yes. What I also uh, like about this paper is it kind of emphasizes this idea that extramarital affairs and sex are always this seen as this big bad horrible thing, which it can't can be. But also sometimes what Sarah and Jacob are both saying is it can be an opportunity for the couple to reflect and say, what, what, what path are we going down? What, 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 why, why, how did we end up here if it was something that they didn't want to end up doing and redirecting um, their marriage into a new, new direction of that? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, of the reason why, um, extramarital sex is is seen as like this such this big deal because it's then really easy to just blame one person right right if somebody says we broke up because he cheated that makes it like all oh so you were blameless in this and it's all his fault and this is a plot line a storyline in so many movies right we hear one person has an affair he or she is the big bad person and then you know this X, Y, and Z, you get a divorce and then various things happen. You know, this, this is this very simplistic line of extramarital affair happens. You get a divorce. You move on and do something else. That ABC is something we see over and over and over again in, in movies and, t- and TV shows. So that's kind of the narrative we have in our head for that. But what, in reality, there's so much nuance to that process in people's lives. Any other thoughts about this wonderful article? Again, it's online. We've posted it. If you guys want to check it out, read it, send us an email. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear it. Finally, time for good or bad advice, where we talk about the pervasive relationship advice about your friends, families, or romantic partners. Do your grandparents have a saying about love and marriage? Did your parents give you advice about friendships or romantic relationships? Did you have a friend or a romantic partner who said something about love or family? that you thought was odd, or maybe it struck you as poignant. This is the section of the show where we want to talk about the advice and decide if it was good or bad advice. (laughs) Any advice you want us to talk about, please call us and leave us a message, 865-235-1374, or email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at attachedpodcast. What did you guys think of that intro? Pretty hot, wasn't it? It was. It was popping. Popping. Um, so today we're going to talk about some advice that I found on the internet. It was specifically asking brides about advice that their mothers gave them. So I'm just going to read the advice out and you wise, smart, brilliant therapists are just oh, please gonna, keep going. Please keep going. Go on. Um, yes. Are going to let us know what, what you all think. Are you ready? 
Yes. You're deem it after yes. you talk about it. You're going to deem it good or bad advice. Fantastic. But like, can we do like on a scale from one to ten? Sure. Or are we? Because like, I need this. Right. We just. I, I can't do the, the black or white thinking. Right. We just talked about the nuance of extramarital affairs. Of course, we're gonna. There's gonna be nuance within this. I'm um, comfortable with the categories. So. Okay. <laughs> so scale it. Yeah, Stay just to be clear. Categories. Fine with me. Whatever yeah. you guys want. Brief interventions. I'm all about keeping it brief. <laughs> One, it's not about getting married. It's about staying married. So, first of all, we know that commitment is important in relationships, right? This level of commitment you have to your relationship is predictive of how you're going to respond to things like extramarital affairs. Right. It's going to, it's predictive of how you're going to respond in therapy. So I, I think they're alluding to commitment, but blind commitment on its own is, it's not great. Like it's not about getting married. It's just about staying married. Staying married sounds terrible, right? <laughs> like, Phrase like, that way. you know, like all of, if you say it, in that really intense voice, yeah. said it said that way. Yikes! <laughs> like, like, oh, I have to be in this state where I can't do or be or anything other than married. No, there's people are so much more than just their marriage. So, on my scale of zero being really shitty advice and ten being really great advice, I'm going to give this one a solid three. Commitment is important, but you know what? It's not about staying married. Marriage should be a, a system in which you can grow and learn about yourself, about your partner um, in the interactions of multiple other relationships. Sarah's a solid bad advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just comfortable getting off the fence, I guess. Yeah, yeah no, that's yeah. The, I, my initial reaction to that is it's neither. It's not either thing. It's not about getting married or staying married. Um, it's about like the process of being married. It's about safety and trust and respect and growth and hopefully enjoying being married, like at right. least once in a while. Um, because the way that Jacob said it, I agree, sounds like a slog through eternity. Um, and hopefully and, more than every once in a while. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I agree. I don't like it. So, so you're a solid bad advice. Okay. Yeah, I actually thought originally they were focusing more on like the idea of don't focus only on the wedding planning. The wedding, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Wedding planning, yeah, yeah, uh, and it's about like the the longevity of like focus on your future because the wedding itself is only one day. Blah 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 blah. And if I you spin it that way, you know, don't just focus on that one day of the wedding. Um, or in Jacob's case, three months. Um, of wedding. Hey, oh. um, then I, I actually think that that is kind of good advice if you spin it yeah. that way. But yeah. I totally yeah. see where you guys are coming from. It also makes sense. All right. Next one. Love each other as you are, not as you wish other to be. Who wants to go I, first? I can go again. I'm going to give that a solid 9.5. Oh, my. You don't right. want to, you don't want to give it all of the 10. You want to no. work a little bit more. No, like you can't have perfect advice because <laughs> some people just aren't worth loving. Oh, that sounds really bad. Huh? <laughs> wow, your cli- your clients are gonna have so much fun tomorrow. <laughs> like, like you know, like if somebody has treated you very poorly over and over again, and you've forgiven them, they come back. Yeah, at a certain point, you gotta. But what I do think is when you're looking at people who are just getting married. 
uh, I was having a conversation with a couple that I see in therapy and we're talking about your, they are who you're treating them like who you want them to be or who you expect them to be, not who they are. And so you have to be able to see your partner for who they really are and not who you want them to be or who you expect them to be. So solid advice. Yeah. I'm in agreement. I, I also would give that. Uh, I think this is a first, actually. I think of all the advice you've read here, we've reviewed right. on this show. I definitely think this is the first time I've said good advice. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me a little of the serenity prayer. I don't do faith-based counseling, but the serenity prayer is used in like dialectical behavior therapy. This idea that like we need to accept what we can't change and have courage to change what we can, but the wisdom to know the difference. And I think when it comes to our partners, there's probably less we can change about them and more that we can maybe change about ourselves. So right. I think it's really important to think about acceptance and appreciation than it is about like this fantasy of who your partner could be. Right. I like it. So you're a solid good. A hundred percent. hundred percent good advice. Okay. Mm-hmm. So moving on. Um, and remember, these are advice from a mother to a daughter. I would say, should we review advice I recently heard about there are some people who just aren't lovable? Should we tackle that one now? Or? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, there will be times when things don't run smoothly, but always remember more than half the world's population would just love to have your worst day. Why did you say it like somebody's awful great aunt? Like, what was it? You're, you're like, felt like it was coming from. So that yeah, was, yeah. I got into. I'm really yeah. sorry that I tainted for you guys. Because <laughs> that's just like shitting on half the world world's population. Right? Also, like, just because people don't have the access to resources that you have doesn't mean that they're like living shitty lives and not happy. Not happy. Like, well, yeah. Also, even if they were, it doesn't mean that the person that is in front of isn't allowed to feel like they're having a bad day. Like that's that's how invalidating. I hate that shit. <laughs> that it's so invalidating. Like, could you imagine if you were talking to somebody about like, oh, shit's going wrong, and like this it isn't working, and they're like, really? It's so worse. Uh, like, oh, I literally would never talk to you about shit ever again. What? That is not okay. Yeah. Yeah, that is like, just shutting down any communication. If that's yeah, the advice, yeah, you're yeah. basically saying, shut up. I don't shut want it. you to talk ever again. Yeah. Yeah, it's a zero for me. Ooh. Ooh. Sarah? That fence now. Yeah, no, it's bad advice. Okay, bad advice. I mean, like, even if it was true, like, it's still bad advice. So, right, right, right. Exactly. It's just not good advice. It's no good. Facts. Move forward in life. Stop looking backward. Don't fret over what went wrong in the past. Look a happier future. Mm. <laughs> I wouldn't have a job if this was <laughs> like I literally would not have there's the whole career field of psychotherapy I think it's uh, obsolete if that is just all people are doing um you know I just think that if like if all we're doing is looking forward like oh everything's gonna be great uh that is an attitude especially if people give you that advice that can breed some pretty nasty power dynamics in relationships yes. you know like set people up for ga- being gaslit for being in abusive relationships because like oh i promise i'll never do this again let's not talk about what happened in the past let's just move forward uh no because 
uh, that is going to get people in trouble. So you should talk about the past and things that have happened in the past are important. Yes. Exactly. Bad advice. I give that a zero as well. Give it, give it a zero. It looks like Jake, it might be moving closer and closer to a dichotomous oh, yeah. scale. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he's doing. That's definitely yep. what he's doing. Yep. Uh, Sarah, thoughts? Oh, yeah. It's bad advice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Solid, solid bad it's advice. bad advice. Learn nothing. Learn nothing from what went wrong before. Boo. Blindly go forward. Just uh, march one foot in front of the other. Blindly go forward. Yeah. Continue knocking into that same wall that you yeah. knocked into 15 times before. Don't learn anything from back there. Other, so, so one caveat. Other than the conversation earlier about daydreaming. <laughs> Which I, which I would say. I'm pretty sure we had that off, uh, the recording device. So can you just go ahead and tell us what the conversation was about day drinking? I mean, it was, was not just me. It wasn't. I will just take responsibility that it's an activity that some of us may enjoy, but that some of us may not ever feel good from after the fact. And yet some <laughs> of us might just continue to do that and look forward to a happier future instead of analyzing the fact that uh, that never feels good later on. Day drinking never feels good after. I mean, yeah. day drinking. Yeah, so good. So good. <laughs> it's a good caveat. I, I, uh, I, I support it. I stand by it. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> good advice. Good advice. <laughs> and we're now at good advice. Okay. Next, always be loyal to your loved one. I don't like always statements regardless, but being, so like if you drop the always and it was like, it's important to be loyal to people you love. Yeah. A hundred percent good advice. Also, loyalty is like a really strong part of my own personal, like interpersonal ethics. Like I feel very strongly about being loyal, whether or not I'm even cognizant of it, but always be loyal is unfortunately tanks that advice because that again I think smacks really problematically of ignoring power dynamics and potentially situations and uh toxic toxic cultures and I I don't like the always piece right but if it were a slightly different the the being loyal to people you love is something that I think that, I mean, like, it's weird advice. I don't know why anyone's saying that to somebody. I think the context was like, this is advice moms give their daughters when they're getting married. Like, I don't know why you would say that to somebody. I'm so excited you're getting married. Remember, be loyal to the people you love. Like, who, I don't know who's saying that. Like, so that's got, it's got like a creepy effect when you imagine it in real life. But like, otherwise. My grandma used to always tell me, blood is thicker than water. Yikes. (laughs) Whoa. Yikes! It was interesting. Yeah, that's that's the type of advice you can call in with. <laughs> I was just gonna say I'm not gonna risk saying anything about that actually. Uh, so when I think about this one, uh, there's a researcher out of Ohio, not Ohio State, Iowa State, state I'm in, uh, that says they're in the south. South. One, it's in the south. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the south, southern Iowa, <laughs> um, but. In most, in many families, there's somebody that is emotionally cut off, right? If you go through your extended family network, there's typically somebody that has been emotionally cut off from at least one or more family. Now, as a therapist, I don't think emotional cutoff is really a good strategy. For most people, if they try to just emotionally cut somebody off, it's going to end. They're going to have to maintain the same amount of energy to maintain that emotional cut off as if they were arguing with that person. Right. That said, I have worked with clients who um, have grown up in homes 
So real quick, what? how would you define a cutoff? You might not yeah, thank you. Thank you for slowing me down. Emotional cutoff is the idea that you are no longer going to talk to someone or interact with them or let them come and be a part of the family, right? That you are going to push them away and you're going to not have any emotional feelings towards them, which when people do that, they end up having lots of emotional feelings towards right. them negative ones um but i think there can also be times when not being loyal and or cutting off uh people who are blood relatives if you want to use your grandma's phrase uh is important and healthy people who've grown up in homes where there's been high levels of emotional abuse and there's never been any means on the person that is responsible to take responsibility for that that's when loyalty is not a good idea so i'm going to give this like uh, 4.75. Jeez. Okay, so we, we're going to hunt. Oh, exactly the fence? Under it. <laughs> no, like, a little bit. It's, it's mostly bad advice because I do think loyalty and commitment are important, yeah. but the way it's phrased is bad. Okay. I think that's all we have for tonight, you guys. It definitely, it definitely is. <laughs> so, as always, thanks so much for listening to the Attached Podcast. Remember to call us, email us, or tweet us any advice you have. We'll talk about it as best as we can and talk to you next time.